Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you target exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activity so there's no need to start and stop your workout. You can analyze your heart rate throughout the entirety of your workout and also track your calories burned, max heart rate, and average heart rate. It's the perfect way to train. The app also has a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the following day. So you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code VELONEWS at checkout. Go to whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter VELONEWS at the checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. Road, cross, dirt bikes, mountain bikes, world championships, world cups, and world tours. Punctured lungs, ruptured spleens, the North Carolina sun, finishing first, and putting women first. This week on Put Your Socks On. Cover it up, you like to play your own game. Socks on. My name is Angus Morton, and as always, I am joined by Bobby Julik. Bobby J, what's up? Everything well here in South Carolina, Gus. Getting kind of warm, I must admit. Got to do a couple gravel rides this week, a couple road rides. George and Christian took me on this uh, pretty epic gravel ride, which I have to question if I should have been on a mountain bike or not. But we we had a great, great time out there. We were supposed to play golf afterwards because we were like, oh, yeah, we're just going to do a three-hour gravel ride and then play golf. Man, I was so buckled after that, I could barely drive home, let alone think of playing golf. So we had to put that on the back burner. But man, I am still buzzing about last week's interview with Reggie Miller. That was so much fun. I really loved what he said about having two ears and listening. And I think the whole world is finally listening. So... Wow. Oh, and so that I don't forget, Gus, and get in trouble with my big sister again, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well, Bobby. I uh, just got back from a weekend of mountain bike riding, actually, uh, on the western western slope to the Rocky Mountains. I did the Palisade Rim Trail and uh, went to your hometown, Glenwood Springs. I did some running and mountain biking around there. Some nice solo sessions uh, spent reflecting on the past few weeks 
uh, and and you know thinking about my position in the change uh, that is beginning to take place. As you said, right, Reggie's words uh, had quite an impact on me. Uh, and taking a step back and looking at the sport of cycling uh, and the programs available to the youth uh, has been pretty eye-opening. I um I spent some time over the last week speaking with uh, former BMC pro Scott Nidham. Uh, who he runs a program which trains uh, Navajo youth in bike mechanics and uh, and coffee um, out of Gallup, New Mexico. It's an amazing program um, that also has a, a NICA team attached to it as well um, and is doing some really, really powerful stuff down there. And through my company, Thereabouts, um, we're looking at working with Scott uh, on, on, on some projects um, which will hopefully highlight the work of, of, of his organization. Um, I also spent some time uh, chatting with Olympic cyclist uh, Graham Sears, who is my first coach uh, and is the CEO of Cycling New South Wales, uh, which is my home state back in Australia. Um, and, and we spoke about programs available for First Nations children uh, in Australia and, and, and he expressed the need to do much, much more. And so hopefully we can, we can get something going there. I also reached out to, to Cycling Australia um, to see what they're doing. Um, and see if there is, uh, you know, if well, they can, certainly, they definitely can. Uh, I know they can do more to better address um, minority groups uh, and eliminate the barriers to the access of the sport of cycling. So, you know, we're seeing some change here in the USA. Brands like Fuji uh, and Specialized who are actually putting their money where their mouths are. Obviously, Justin Williams and the, and the Legion, Legion of LA cycling team, um, all the Williams brothers, they're doing some some really brilliant things, and I think um, the cycling world, for better or for worse, you know, haven't really necessarily paid en- enough attention to this issue. But we're able to galvanize and rally behind um, that program there, and and they they raised a bunch of funding this week. I just saw they 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 uh, crossed the fifty thousand dollar funding mark on a GoFundMe page, which they're using to to do five different. They're sort of spearheading five different areas uh, in junior programming, which will be fantastic to see. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, some of these conversations that I've had um, and and some of the the larger conversations that are going on within the sport of cycling um, will lead, you know, will lead to uh, the sport becoming something that truly does exist for the betterment of society. And, uh, and, you know, we'll hopefully see that happen uh, in the coming years. Well, there was some bike news this Mm -hmm. week. You know, we've mentioned in the last couple episodes that Everstein, Everstein, Everstein. First, it was Katie Hall. Then it was Lauren de Krenz. You're going to have to help me with this, Gus. Can you Crenzenzo? say her last name? Lauren Krenzenzo. But now it looks like, now, now it finally looks like we have a record that could stand for a while. You know, we were talking, you know, it was under 10 hours. Then it was 9.57. And we were talking about it going down to 9.50. Hannah Rhodes sets a new Everstein female standard of nine hours, eight minutes, and 31 seconds. That, that's got to stand for a while, right? That's, that is a formidable time, um, a really impressive record there. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, we were speaking last week about, I wonder how long this record will stand for. And we sort of thought it would stand for a while, right? And then now you see 908. I mean, I'm not. I dare not say that 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 someone isn't going to come out in the next few weeks and and knock that off. But man, I can't. Yeah, that's a very impressive impressive ride there from from Hannah Rhodes. And again, it's cool to see the men seem to have dropped off a little bit in their attempts at the uh, at the Everesting record. But but the women are going full gas at it. So I hope that uh, that, that continues. Pretty impressive. 
Uh, a little bit of bad news. Uh, CCC announced that they're searching for a new sponsor again in 2021. This organization, the general manager, Jim Okowitz, has had to deal with the situation uh, uh, you know, quite often. And he saved the old BMC organization from uh, having to disband by getting CCC. But due to this pandemic, um, CCC is going to have to pull out a, a year early. But some good news is that several teams are extending long-term contracts with uh, with with their riders, uh, Francis DeJoux, AG2R. So, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that's a really good sign, you know, from my opinion, that, um, you know, cycling is going to get past this. Exactly right. And, you know, it's not quite Behind us yet, the uh, the deluge of Zwift Racing and Team Ineos had an intra-team event uh, again this week, which was ru- which was won by the Ergo King Rowan Dennis. Uh, I wouldn't say any real surprises there, Bobby. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. <laughs> I think I think those other guys with the Ineos jerseys on are just kind of like, can we just like you know go through the motions? We know who's going to win, but. Pretty exciting, pretty exciting stuff again. And there was a Zwift celebrity event where Chris Frome finally gets his first win <laughs> of the year, <laughs> beating ex-England cricketer Kevin Peterson and former Spice Girl Mel C. What you think about that? So I didn't watch it live, but I did go back and actually watch the highlights and kind of fast forward a little bit. But man, these celebrities were giving it everything they had. Really? It wasn't just an exhibition. Their heart rates were pinned. And I tell you, Mel C is legit. Now you know how I feel. She is legit. But seeing these these celebrities with heart rates of, you know, in the 180s and the watts in the 300s, I I was quite impressed. I mean, it was kind of a what do they call that? A a staggered event or a handicapped event, I guess. So Chris had to start quite far back, but I mean, come on, let's face it, it's Chris Chris Frome that's that's chasing these people. And it was it was it was cool and I think that um having these sort of celebrity events uh will be in Zwift's repertoire moving forward. And that brings us to today's show, Bobby. Today's guest does it all and has won it all. Three times under 23 world champ in the cross-country discipline on the mountain bike. Winner of the Mountain Bike World Cup Series, not once but twice. Winner at the Tour of Poland on the road. The Swiss National Championships. And of course, the Women's Open Mountain Bike World Championship in 2017. At only 27, Yolanda Neff has taken the women's cycling world by storm. Racing at the highest level in road, cross, and mountain bike cross country, she has proven herself to be another in the young crop of pro cyclists who refuse to let the UCI's rigid model get in the way of them riding their bike, having fun, and setting an example for the rest of the world. However, it hasn't been all smooth sailing for Yolanda. In 2019, she suffered a fall while training in North Carolina, breaking her ribs, rupturing her spleen, and suffering a collapsed lung. It looked like her 2020 Olympic campaign was in serious jeopardy, but with the COVID-19 pandemic forcing the season to be pushed back and the Olympics postponed, Yolanda has been allowed the space to recover, to get back to doing what she loves, and shredding the gnar. Hello, Yolanda Neff. 
and welcome to Put Your Socks On. Hello. I, uh, you know, being down here in the South, uh, it's questionable if we pronounce your name Yolanda or Jolanda like they probably would down here in the hmm. South, right? You, have you gotten that before? Yeah, it's funny. Um, and the Spanish people, they would say Holanda because it's written with J. <laughs> so I've had a lot of uh, very different pronunciations of my name, but the way we say it in Switzerland would be Yolanda. Well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I already mentioned you in the podcast directly after, what was that, about a month ago when we rode together. And I told everyone the story of you bunny hopping around the parking lot and asking George Hincapie and I if we could do this. And we just kind of looked at you like with embarrassment saying, uh, no, not a chance. And, you know, also my memories of that ride was just, A, your your enthusiasm and your spirit. And, you know, you were you were riding a cyclocross bike with not the right gearing for the sort of terrain that we were doing. So um, thanks again for, for that ride and thanks for coming on our yeah, show. Yeah, I mean, thank you for taking me along for that ride. I mean, that ride was epic. I was I was riding a full six hours and it was so brutal <laughs> in some parts because, yeah, I had a cyclocross bike and I had only one chainring in the front, a 48 uh, chainring, and I didn't have exactly small gear in the back because usually I use this bike for road riding, not even for cyclocross. So we went up this great, like I prepared myself mentally for a gravel ride. And in my head, this was like a beautiful mellow path through the forest flat. And I not for a second, did I even think that gravel ride could be uphill. <laughs> I didn't even, didn't even think. And we, yeah. George, you know, I'm going to blame George Hinkapi on that because, and I've said this multiple times because I got to ride gravel with him and Christian this last week as well. And we got done and I said, you know what, I I think we better change our definition of gravel because when we mention gravel, people think, like you just said, like a nice flat road just going on forever, no cars. What we did was, and what we do is maybe extreme gravel. I mean, okay, we're on the dirt, but it's um, it's pretty darn tough. But I remember when we were riding, and it was you know I I actually asked you when we were up on that hill overlooking the church that um, wow I'm kind of surprised that you're here in the U.S. during this quarantine quarantine period. So now that you're back in Switzerland. How are you settling in after being away for so long? And uh, where are you at the moment? Yeah, I was I was gone for so long. I I was in the U.S. for two and a half months because I flew there middle of March. In fact, it was the day that the lockdown started or the day that America closed the borders because it has always been my plan to go to the U.S. where my boyfriend lives in North Carolina I always planned to go there in April for a full month. But then, so I already had my flight, luckily. But then the day that I flew, they closed the border. So I was already in America and I thought, I'm still going to stick to my plan. I'm going to do my training here. And at that point, nobody knew already what was about to happen with all the races canceled, with the Olympic Games postponed, with just the pretty much the whole season upside down. So I just uh, ended up staying there for a longer time because, yeah, we, we had a good time. And 
we did a lot of great riding and it was yeah great fun and I think actually yeah you cannot say it's gravel riding what you do I think it's it's not even gravel because the path that we went up it was like a washed out river and it was, uh, it was not even gravel I think you can say take your gravel bike and we will have the most extreme ride ever but um yeah back to your question so right now I'm back in Switzerland I was two weeks at my home and right now I'm in the Alps in the Swiss mountains in a training camp with the Swiss national team of the mountain bike girls and um the weather is pretty funny I must say because yesterday it started snowing Oof. So, it's been yeah. uh it's been hot here so that's uh I wouldn't mind a bit of snow to be honest but knowing you're at a training camp right now uh the first one after the lockdown firstly how is it being amongst you know your peers and, and and training again and kind of thinking about racing and then as an extension of that how is your form like and how is everybody's form you know after the lockdown i imagine either everyone's either super super fit or really really unfit i'm intrigued to to know yeah well it's so nice to see everyone honestly it's it's such a great feeling i mean um we we have a great group here as i we are nine girls and um riding on a really good level eight of those girls have been world champion in the junior category so it's incredibly good and with the group we learn so much from each other and we we all get along which is i think key and we we help each other and it's just a great spirit to get stronger and ride with each other and we usually we have a training camp on average once a month we have a training camp for one or two weeks so for the last months we we did we did not see each other at all so yeah it feels so so good to be back with the group and having a clear training uh, structure and plans so that has been really good and coming to the form <laughs> um, and the shape um, yeah, I think everybody is coming a little bit from a different angle. As uh, for me personally, I had a I had a quite a big crash last December in the U.S. when I was in North Carolina training, and I I ruptured my spleen and I broke two ribs and I my lung um, collapsed partially. So I I had a long recovery phase. In fact, in January I. I was not allowed to move at all for a full month, not, not even walking because my heart rate and my blood pressure had to stay low because they they did an emergency surgery in my spleen to stop the bleeding. So they put a plug in and I couldn't raise the blood pressure because of that. So I was like, I had to lay low for a full month there. So I enjoyed it very much to be back on my bike in, in February and in March. And I started to feel better in March. I was not allowed to do intensity until March. But then I, I really, really enjoyed it. So the lockdown for me, it, it was a big shock in one way. But on the other hand, it also gave me a lot of time, especially regarding the Olympic Games. I mean, for me, it would have been a run to the line. I would have had to use every single day make the best out of every moment and I've had injuries before and in fact the year that I won the world championships in 2017 I had a big injury just six weeks before and I and I won and that was that that is still a story that like is in my head and I know like yeah I was still convinced if I put everything on the line and do everything I can I, I yeah I'll just give my best but 
of course, this new situation now is giving me so much more time and I could take my recovery step by step. So regarding my form right now, I would say I'm still at the beginning of my buildup. I had the time to recover properly. I didn't have to rush anything. And I'm just like starting to build back up. It, it feels really good. I'm enjoying every moment out on the bike. I'm, I'm loving it. But yeah. I'm, I'm still just at the beginning of my form. Gus, I, I don't believe her. Um, I rode with her a month ago, and she mentioned that she did six hours. So she rode to meet George and I at Hotel Domestique and then rode back. So we had four hours, and we were exhausted. So I, if, if you say that you're just on the beginning of your form and you rode as strong as you did that day, that that's good news moving forward. And I think you hit the the nail really on the head along with another rider that we all know Chris Froome he's in the same situation so you know you you like you said would have had to hit everything spot on and the timing would have to be perfect and you would have no speed bumps or no hurdles between now and then but you know now you know it 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 could be a totally different different thing but um i want to go back a little bit because what intrigues me about meeting new people is hearing their story of how they got into cycling i mean from a very young age all you seemed to do was win but i'm interested how did you get into cycling in the first place and more specifically the mountain bike yeah, let, let me just say, I was actually thinking about Chris Froome a lot because I, I followed everything that he did. And I mean, he always said the tour was his big goal and you could just see like what his competition was doing and what he was able to do. And it was just such a huge task that he had at hand. So yeah, I feel with this new situation, like I'm sure he will do everything he can, but also for him, that gave, that gave him time and that gave him perspective. So I think, yeah, that's, uh, there's always a, a good point about it too. But so how did I get into biking? I did my first race when I was six years old and I've been racing ever since. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I won my first race and uh, I just kept winning, <laughs> I guess. But um, yeah, it's funny because so my dad, he was racing on the road. He was never on the pro pro level. I mean, back in the days, there was the elite level and the professionals so he was in the elite not the professionals but um yeah he was he was racing on the road and then when mountain biking came up he jumped on that train and took up mountain biking and that was pretty much when when i was born i i was born in 1993 so that was in the 90s that's when mountain biking started and then in 1999 i did my first race and because he was at that race and he took my sister, my brother, my mom and I, we were there. So we just happened to be there and, and did that race. And I mean, uh, I loved it. I, I won and I loved it from the first moment on. And yeah, we have a, a really great system in Switzerland for the kids because from age six to 10, you can race, but it's a very special kind of race. You do a skills parkour where you have to do skills on your bike, like balance, ride over a car, pick stuff up from the floor, do eight and turn around without stepping down. And only at the end of it, you do a little lap where they stop your time. And so it's really focused on skills. And I did that from age six to 10. And then at age 10, I could start to race real lap races like the like mountain bike works. 
and I, in fact, in that like age six to ten, most of the time I would say ninety percent of all races I was second place. There was always one girl who was beating me, and then once we started to lap race, that's when I started winning, and and from that day on I, I won over sixty races um, in the in that Yauf category, like just some every year, but. Yeah, I just kept winning until I was old enough to race internationally, which was at age 17. And do you, that, that girl that was beating you all that time, do you remember uh, yeah, her name? Of course. It's Michelle Fullenweider. And she was the daughter of the guy who later was our national coach. But he was also a baker. He had a bakery at home. And then unfortunately, she gave up mountain biking at some point. Um, yeah, which unfortunately happens with a lot of teenagers that at some point you need to make the decision. Do I want to, um, follow an education or do I want to put everything, um, into sport? And yeah, I'm like, she, she was a, she was a great skilled rider, but yeah, she, she gave up mountain biking. You've won, like you just said then, right? Like, you know, you won 60, 60 races as, uh, in, in those first years of racing. And, and obviously, you know, your, your Palmarias speaks for themselves, right? for itself right now i'm really interested interested to know like what what is it that drives you um what do you love about racing and and riding and how do you you stay on top i love racing i I love it so much i mean (laughs) i i pretty much love any competition or everything for me pretty much turns into a competition I, i guess that's just how i am um, but yeah, I, I love racing and riding my bike and I have so much fun on the trails and in the nature and especially together with my friends. So when I was a kid, my parents, they started this group of kid cyclists who trained together. Just one day they put it in the newspaper, cycling for kids and maybe five, eight kids showed up and they kept doing it every week. And my dad was always working full time, but he just did this at the side and my mom always helped him and helped us and like the group kept growing and we we suddenly we were 40 kids riding together every Wednesday and every Tuesday and it was so much fun to me whenever I was in school I was already dreaming to get out on my bike and ride and with those kids it was amazing every weekend in the summer we would go camping in our camper van you know to the races because they were often far away so and our start was early in the morning so we had to go there the day before and it was so much fun with these kids and riding and in the nature and it was just so much fun to me and I think that that's key for me and that's what it has always been the the fun aspect and that even now I enjoy it so much to ride with a group to ride with other girls other people and I I never ever have a training when I'm at home that I do alone. I I always make sure I find another rider and sometimes another professional rider, sometimes my parents, my family or some just some people from our cycling club. I always find someone because I think cycling is such a social sport and it's such a great way to connect with other people. It, it's so much fun. It's healthy for anybody of any age. Sometimes I ride with people who are 70 years old and in uh you know they are already retired and it's great i mean then i'm having an easy day and if i want a really hard day i go with a with a male mountain biker who's professional then i'm uh, i will suffer for sure or i go ride with uh bobby and george <laughs> I, I i think uh we were the ones suffering that day but christian vanneveld is also one of our neighbors here and you know we had our 
daily catch-up call after the weekend. And he mentioned to me that after one of our gravel rides, he gave a ride back to town, one of Enzo's friends that was out there at the lake with us. And he mentioned that he saw you doing some massive jumps on a motorized dirt bike. Is that true? Do you also ride like motorcycles? Yes, uh, occasionally. (laughs) I did not know that. And it just kind of adds to your legend here in the Carolinas. Yeah, well... I must say that's really my boyfriend who got me into that because he's been riding motorcycles since he was a kid. And yeah, we found like I got my own bike now at his place and we sometimes go to to real tracks or sometimes we ride on the forest on private land of a friend. And yeah, it has been amazing. It has been so much fun. And we did this uh, series on my YouTube channel. You can watch it. It's called Yolanda Land. And you will see how we are riding their bikes in there. Well, that brings me to the next question, Yolanda Land. Um, I've seen the first episode, um, right. and and I think um, what what I find really interesting about this um, is, in recent years, we've seen a few athletes uh, and and even brands um, producing kind of extracurricular content um, that that isn't completely isn't just focused on the racing. I'm intrigued, um, like to hear from you, uh, like how have how has your your Landerland been received by your fans, and and do you see this as a way to kind of take a bit of control over how you express yourself outside of competition? Yeah, it, the feedback has been amazing. It, it I, I was really blown away. It has been so cool. I I started my YouTube channel from zero a couple months ago and put this video up, and I had no subscribers at all i just uh told my fans on my social media i'm having this video and we had over 140,000 views within the first week which was incredible for having no subscribers you know like for example red bull they have 9.5 million subscribers on youtube so if red bull puts up a video then immediately you will have 100,000 clicks so 100,000 for them is like i don't know what three percent or something of their followers but when you start with zero subscribers and you have that number i mean that's amazing feedback so and and so many people my friends and it it was the feedback was incredible everyone loved it and to me i mean that's really i'm i must give all the credit to the to the guy who made the movie his name is joe bowman he's from the uk and he has been working in the mountain bike scenes for 10, more than 10 years and producing movies. And they, his movies, they are focused on fun. So when we were discussing for the first time to do a movie project like that, it was really, I wanted it to be fun. And I want people to show cycling is social. It's fun. It's great. It keeps you fit. It, I, I don't want to show like, ah, it's so hard to train and everyone who's at that level has to put in the work and has to train hard. But for me, what got me into mountain biking and what I want to inspire Mm -hmm. other people to get into mountain biking is is the fun and the social aspect. And yeah, he really understood what I wanted to show and he really was able to bring that across. And I think that's what makes it unique and what makes his filming style unique. Let's get serious for a second here. The Olympics have been held back a year, right? You just spoke about a little bit earlier um, about having 
you know, which I don't think we remarked on, by the way, like a serious accident with some pretty serious injuries. So glad to to see you're back up and at him. Um, how do you feel about that? Has that, you know, in a way, has 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 it being postponed benefited you? Oh, for sure. Yes. I mean, as I said before, it would have been a run to the line for me. And now this new situation gave me so much more time just to have a structured build up to have I could take a rest when I needed to have a rest. I could just listen to my body, do it step by step. And moreover, it gives me the chance to have a build up to the Olympic Games, a winter of training like everyone else. Like it just puts me back on the same level as my competition. I, I wouldn't say it's it's putting me in an advanced position, but it's putting me on the same level. And I just have a chance to have a, a good, solid winter. And I mean, that, that means so much to me because the Olympics, they, they are a big goal for every professional athlete. And I was in Rio at the Olympic Games and I did the road race and the mountain bike race there. And the road race was in the first weekend and I finished on eighth place. I was in that chasing group just behind the first three girls. And I felt so good because I have not done a lot of road races. So eighth place for me in the road race was an amazing result. So I was so excited for the mountain bike race and I was so happy for it, you know, and like I I, I won the overall World Cup the two years before and yeah, everything was, was in a good place. And then I, well, unfortunately, I also had a crash 10 days before the race. And um, yeah, I, I crashed on my ribs. And yeah, it, it, it wasn't, I finished sixth place in the mountain bike race, which uh, if you just see the result, it's maybe not that bad. But of course, for me, I had big hopes and big dreams. And so um, going towards Tokyo, I I changed a lot about my approach. I I changed my team. I, I am now riding for track, which gives me the stability. It's a big bike brand. I I used to ride for smaller teams that had a smaller budget, but they gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted. Um, and I changed my approach on that because with track, I, I, I mean, they have a more structured approach and they have more things that they... Um, are asking for or looking for but on the other hand I feel so safe with them that they will continue in the sport because going into Rio I had three team changes within three years because they ran out of budget they ran out of money and their teams just stopped and with track I'm so confident that they will keep going even now during the corona crisis when the whole thing started the the boss called me and he was like look we're going to go support you 100%. We are not cutting your salary one cent. It's We are 100% behind you. And I have amazing support from them. So I think that's already a great um, step for me. I, I have a, a good partnership with them going towards Tokyo. And another big point for me is that in Rio, I did not go to the test race which was the year before, because actually I raced the world championships in Richmond on the road. <laughs> and that was um, like uh, going like on the same thing as the test race in Rio. So I chose Richmond. <laughs> but So I didn't do the test race. And then in Tokyo, I already went to the test race last year and I saw the track and I liked the track and it's all, 
I, I feel so, so much better already heading into Tokyo. I feel like I'm in such a good position now and I'm just really so happy that I get the chance to to do this again and to learn from my experience and to have the good setup and I'm so excited already for for Tokyo and, and I'm really looking forward to to the next year and to the whole build up. The Olympics is obviously a massive thing for everyone. But you you mentioned that you got eighth in the road race, sixth in the mountain bike, and then you had a little crash. Will you do both events in, in Tokyo or will you concentrate on one? That's a great question. Um, and of course, I was considering it. But in fact, the IOC changed um, the competition schedule. And now the mountain bike and the road race are on the same day. So like cycling is all oh. put together and it's like in the beginning of the first week towards the middle and it's like time trial, mountain biking, road race. It's all within two days, I think. So in the Swiss net, the Swiss Olympic Committee, they put in the qualification criteria, it is not allowed to do both races. Yeah, so they said that's not allowed. So for me, it's it's clear heading towards Tokyo, it's only going to be mountain bike. Wow. Wow. That's kind of a bummer. I mean, um, it'd be kind of cool to see multidiscipline athletes uh, get get medals in, in different events. But I know, having been to just one Olympics, uh, I know there's a lot of people that have been to a lot more, but there's a lot of distractions in, in the village, in the Olympic thing. So you mentioned that you already learned the importance of seeing the, the track but what can you take away from things that you did in Rio that will help you be more focused uh, moving into to Tokyo? My number one learning point is that I need to have the people around me working with me in those days before the Olympics and during the Olympics that I've been working with for years and that I know well and that just click with me and that works really good because in, in Rio, we did not have one single female person in the staff. And we were three like male mechanics, then two male coaches, then two male physios, and um, also three male riders. And it was me and one other girl racer, but there was no female in the team. And I get along great with men, that's no problem. But I think if you like are at the a competition that is really important you also need a certain balance and especially for me my physio that I've been working with for years and that is a girl she was not selected to go to the Olympics so I've been working on that very much I, I had a meeting with the Swiss Olympic directors and the Swiss Cycling Federation directors and I explained to them how important it is to me to have a person with me that I connect with and that I trust and that just knows what to do in what moment, because this is a once in a lifetime thing, you know? So I, I did that in fact already half a year after Rio and we already made a plan how we want to go forward to Tokyo. And I'm really hopeful that they will keep their word and that they will take my personal physio who is now also working with me on the track factory team. That was one of my, conditions when I started to ride for track that I want to have my physio in the team because she's she's an amazing person to me and uh yeah her name is Celia and so in 
this is my big hope that she will be part of the Swiss Olympic team and hopefully everything goes that direction. That's what they promised. And I just know that I need the people around me that I, it can't be possible that I work with the same people for four years at every race. And then we come to the Olympics, the biggest race, and it's new people that I've never seen before that I've never worked with. And I have an injury and I need somebody yeah. to treat me. Uh, it doesn't work. So that is my big learning point to have the people around me that I know and trust. And tell me, you do, you do it all, right? You, you race on the road, uh, cross, mountain bike. Um, this seems to be for you know. There's a quite a few people coming through now um, that are you know super successful at all three, and that's not really traditionally um, the case in in the sport of of cycling. How do you balance all those, um, and how has that been for you to be able to to do all three? Um, has it been a challenge or or an advantage? It definitely is a challenge and I think it depends a lot how you are able to organize it. As for me, my primary, my focus number one has always been mountain biking and whatever I did on the road or in cyclocross was an addition to my training and to, I mean, the speed you have on the road and the intensity when there are attacks, that is something you never have in mountain biking. And so I take a lot of benefit from that onto the mountain bike. And in cyclocross, there's so much technique involved and it's in winter and it like gives me a goal and gives me stuff to work on. And I've always learned so much from these two disciplines and kind of to bring it back to mountain biking. That's where I really feel like, wow, this gives me an edge over um, people who don't do that. And it is um, more organization and it is a bigger challenge to arrange it all. And that that is why I, I admire people who, who manage to do that because I, I know what it takes and I know what you need a good team who supports that. You need a good management who enables you to focus on the sport and to not have to worry about emails or events or whatever. So, yeah, I, I, I do admire a lot how, how how other people do that too and as for me I don't think I have done that much on the other disciplines road and cyclocross as, as some of the other riders who combine all three disciplines for me it has always been the focus on on mountain biking and I mean I enjoy it very much to go to the other disciplines and learn something new and take a new training approach you know but yeah I also sometimes have to pull myself back and and tell myself uh mountain biking is still the thing <laughs> you should care about most so there's no plans to to switch and focus more 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 solely on road or cross in the in the future um surely not to switch i mean track would have an amazing setup on the road now as well for the women with Trek segafredo they are an amazing team and i was lucky enough to do some races with them last spring. I did Liege, Bastogne Liege with them. And um, yeah, it, it's it's amazing how they are set up. And I've raced for other smaller road teams before and saw how they are working and it's uh, it's a different world. So I find it amazing how, how Trek supports that and I would have the option to race with them if I'm strong enough because they have a strong team as well. But um yeah, there is surely no plan for me to switch totally because 
I just love mountain biking. I, I love it and I have so much fun with it. But I mean, yeah, to do classics on the road, that is a feeling you also never have in mountain biking, you know, like it, those are iconic races and there's so much history behind and yeah, my dad used to race on the road and, and I, I love to watch road races. I watch so many road races and I watch the tour and I watch Tiro and I watch yeah a lot of road racing. So I love it and I love to follow it and I I love to get like the inside view of it as well. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't switch just because I, I love mountain biking too much. Great luck. All the best this season. And we'll, um, we'll be looking for you once the, the season kicks off. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And if you ever come to Europe or especially Switzerland, please let me know and I, I will need to show you some, some, some good rides around here. Sounds great. Sounds great. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having Take me. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's it. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you again to Yolanda Neff for graciously sharing her time with us. You can find our older shows as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at velonews.com. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or FISO, P-Y-S-O. Please continue to show your support by subscribing to this program, and please spread the word by telling your friends about us. This show was produced by myself and Bobby Julik, as well as edited and post-produced by Eddie Rogers. You can get at us on social media at Fizopod, P-Y-S-O-P-O-D on Twitter, uh, at ThatIsGus and at Bobby.Julik on Instagram. Reach out to us there. Give us suggestions, feedback, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Until next week, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe, stay sane, and don't forget to put your socks on. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress and exertion you put on your body throughout the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability that can be used as an indicator for how to approach your day. The app has built-in features like Strain Coach, which gives you target exertion goals to work out optimally at your body's recovery level. Whoop automatically detects and categorizes your activity so there's no need to start and stop your workout. You can analyze your heart rate throughout the entirety of your workout and also track your calories burned, max heart rate, and average heart rate. It's the perfect way to train. The app also has a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the following day. So you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code VELONEWS at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter News at the checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. Whoop.